Hello and welcome. This is a podcast explaining Ukraine by ukraineworld.org, a website in English about Ukraine. This podcast is brought to you by Internews Ukraine, one of the oldest and biggest Ukrainian media NGOs. My name is Volodymyr Yermolenko. I'm editor-in-chief of ukraineworld.org and analytics director at Internews Ukraine. Today we will continue our analysis of the geopolitical and security situation around Ukraine, Russian military buildup on Ukrainian border, consequences of Russian talks with the United States, NATO and OSCE, but also the role of the EU and its member states, in particular Germany, in all this situation. My guest is Wilfried Hilge, historian of East and Central Europe at Center for International Peace Operations in Berlin, Germany and Associate Fellow at DGAP, German Council on Foreign Relations. Good afternoon, Wilfried. Good afternoon, Volodymyr. Hello. Thanks so much for being on my podcast. Uh, my first question would be, so you follow, obviously, the situation, uh, in the military escalation on Ukrainian border, the geopolitical tensions. So what is your estimation of the current situation and what are the reasons and possible consequences of it? At first, I would like uh, to say that uh, the current situation um, with uh, the troops' movement on the eastern border of Ukraine is really serious. Um, if we look at the last events, we see that despite of the uh, week of negotiations we have behind us, we can see that um, the concentration of troops has not stopped, uh, but was even supported by more also offensive weapons. For example, we now have indicators that the Russian Federation brought Iskander rockets uh, from Siberia, which is now part of the central military district. Uh, to the western borders of Ukraine, we have uh, uh, of Russia. We have also indicators that there are helicopter units, also, um, um, of course, um, foreseen for offensive operations. Um, so the situation is serious. The situation is not only serious because of the events on the eastern border. And I would like to uh, turn the attention of, of our listeners to the southern flank of Ukraine. I think it is a big mistake that we are speaking almost exclusively, at least in Western media, about the situation in the east. The situation in the south is already very uh, bad. Uh, you know that uh, the Sea of Azov is at the moment, I would say, almost under full control of Russian Federation. By the way, violating in that way heavily the bilateral uh, contract between Ukraine and Russia on the Azov Sea from the year of 2003. And that is for strategic region also very dangerous. And it also concerns, uh, of course, the European partners and other littoral states because Azov Sea is a very is a dominance in the Azov Sea, uh, together with using the Caspian flotilla uh, from Kaspisk, uh, is of course an important precondition for Russia to widen the dominance in the whole Black Sea. So it concerns also Europe and it 
uh, it very uh, well illustrates that the Ukrainian-Russian crisis is a challenge for all Europeans and not only for Ukraine. So that is the estimation of the situation. We have to take it very serious. Uh, on the one hand, we have uh, the situation and the development in the strategic military way I described. On the other hand, it is, of course, maybe not finally decided by Russia what Russia will do, but we should take into account at first the bad scenario and prepare for that and not, not the best scenario. I mean, there are also arguments that Russia will not invade Ukraine. Um, because uh, it will be also very costly for Russia. It 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 will. It is also not easy for Russia to do that. Ukraine today is not the Ukraine of 2014. Um, um, but the problem is also, and we can speak later about that, that there are also alternatives to, a, let me say, full-fledged invasion for Russia. It it would be, for example, also possible also in the way of logistics uh, for Russia to bring Ukraine together with the so-called republics in the Donbass as an instrument, as a four-post instrument to bring with, as a, to bring uh, the eastern territory, uh, territory defense of Ukraine under stress and to conduct a very out um, let me say out, let me say very, um, very clearly directed, uh, pointed operations uh, on strategic points in the south. Yes. And, and that is uh, really a big danger. And the Western partners of Ukraine should be prepared for that, that there can be also a catastrophe even when Russia is not fully invading Ukraine. We should be aware of that and we should be clear what will happen as an answer, as a response, if we will not see an invasion, but something in between, a combination of military attacks, destabilization and so on. So that is my estimation of the current situation. The reason you asked, uh, Volodymyr, uh, why did that happen? <sighs> At first, I think, um, very important. And that was also a little bit overshadowed uh, during the negotiations on uh, stability, on, on strategic stability when it came to, to, to uh, the, the middle range rockets and all these negotiations, uh, what can be done for security in both, uh, in the interest of both sides. Um, you, you all know that what, what was um, suggested by the West during the talks last week. But we forgot here a little bit that Russia has also domestic reasons uh, to restore the sphere of influence in Europe. Um, I think that is the most important point because, of course, the Kremlin knows that NATO never uh, has uh, the plan and never seriously was thinking about any attack on Russia. And by the way, NATO is not strategically capable to do that. Please, please uh, simply imagine 
what will happen if uh, if only NATO will discuss stationing new middle range rockets uh, in in the eastern uh, uh, in the territories of the eastern uh, member uh, member states i mean that would already uh, um, uh, uh, lead to a big discussion of nato uh, it is a very difficult process of these uh, 27 members. So it is very difficult at all for NATO to plan offensive. So that is that is not the main reason. I think the main reason is uh, that Russia to uh, that Russia also with the experience of Belarus in 2020 in the back, let me say. <laughs> And the a very recent experience, even with Kazakhstan, uh, and that is, I think, very important for Putin, wants to make safe uh, the belt around Russia in a political uh, way. So that means that there could not anymore emerge any approaches or attempts for so-called colored revolutions. I think that is the main reason why a regime that is uh, that has, uh, uh, let me say, uh, that has um, already or that already crossed much red lines of domestic policy, corruption. Uh, I mean, uh, the missed modernization of Russia. Uh, you see what happened with coronavirus in, in Russia, and by the way, Ukrainians can can observe that actually um, um, can observe that in the Donbas, in the non-controlled territories in the Donbas, how how pro-Russian forces are treating together with Russia this virus crisis. So all these things, I think, uh, and these experience actually Belarus, I think, is very important here because they thought it was safe, but it was not. Um, uh, bring them to the uh, to the point uh, that we have to finally um, uh, resolve our problem to um, finally stabilize our regime. I think that is the core problem we have, and that is very dangerous. And that is also for me the main argument to those who are friendly. Let me say to the idea uh, to um, let me say to calm down Putin by giving him some fears, uh, spheres of influence or some so-called natural domains of the former Soviet Union. That is not only silly because of a violation of international right, but it is also it will not work because we can see actually in the Sea of Azov and the Black Sea what will happen if we will, if Europe will be divided in different zones with different, uh, let me say, categories of security for the states. We see that actually in that case, Russia is playing out its asymmetric military power and political influence towards uh, the, those states who are attempting to go to the West, but who are still not embedded in another integration project, be it U uh, European Union, be it NATO. That is very dangerous. And 
so that is that is a danger here. So you are saying that the major reasons for Russia to escalate the situation are basically not security reasons. It has nothing to do with NATO. It has rather something to do with you know democracy and uh, protests in Belarus, in Kazakhstan, in 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 Ukraine, eventual protests in. In, in Russia itself. And it's it's very interesting how, for example, the West is reading Russia concerns because they are probably not really security-oriented and, and Russia is not really thinking about the NATO enlargement, but rather thinking about its own enlargement. What it, what it is show, showing is that it can enter the territories which were left by the West, for example, Syria, Iraq, uh, the, the, the West left Afghanistan. So... The West is retreating and Russia tries to, to, to catch up, to show that it is expanding. The West is shrinking and Russia is expanding. Do you think this reading is correct? Um, I think there is much truth in that. I will come very quickly back, back to that. I will only a little bit precise my first remark that, of course, also Russia has absolutely legitimate security issues and demands towards the West. That is, of course, true. And uh, if Russia really seriously would be interested uh, in a security dialogue, then it would have not uh, would have made not that proposals, which it sent at the mid of December, but really serious proposals which bring more security for all, because we really need an innovation and modernization of or even, uh, let me say, um, restoration of uh, key key contracts of strategic stability in Europe. That is absolutely clear. Um, and I think that is also a good opportunity to speak about that. The problem for me is it is not the main reason for Russia to escalate. That was that what I want to say. Um, it is... It is uh, it is a construction. Um, uh, it is a construction of justification uh, to intimidate the West and the Western public and societies in order to legitimate steps at the costs, actually, of states like Ukraine, Georgia, Moldova, and everything in between. Let me say, with or to to establish. Uh, um, actually, this sphere of interest. So that is only for for a precise, more precise dialogue, because I think it is absolutely okay to have negotiations on security and also including Ukraine with that. Um, but I think the proposals they tell me these proposals uh, when they <laughs> when the Kremlin demands from the West immediately to subscribe to that. Uh, that is not the way of serious diplomatic negotiations on security, which is, by the way, a very complex and a very difficult issue. So that is only... Yeah, Russians Russians came came into the negotiations with the very straightforward demands and as if they were saying, look, we are, uh, we, are, we are very frank with you, uh, but take it or leave it. I mean, you can accept yes, yes. it or you can yes, but not accept yes. it. And the problem is actually that you mentioned that in your question that... A maybe also as a legacy of Cold War, the West is used to speak about 
the strategic stability, yes, and I think not to see so much the political implications of Russian society, regime building and regime development as a core issue behind that. Um, and and uh, I only want to to give one example to to make it clear why these proposals, even then when they are more detailed. Uh, are simply problem not not only problematic they can not be responded in a in a in a const so they can simply not let me say uh, accepted for example the proposals that the Americans and the Russians uh, should base middle range uh, rockets systems uh, only on the national territory territories. Uh, that will that will exclude the Americans from Europe, which is uh, still the security umbrella of your European security on the one hand, and give Russia the possibility uh, to to um, to ask or to to expand uh, the threat capa capacities uh, in Kaliningrad and what is really cynical in Crimea, which is not a territory of Russia. I mean, that is only to, to show you how absurd these uh, proposals were. It would be actually lead to a security threat, not only of Ukraine, but actually of Europe, because it is not the NATO and not Europe which were growing up these rocket systems. It is actually Russia what has done that. That is only one example. Um, and now to your second part of the question. Can you can you repeat it? Excuse me, Volodymyr. <clears throat> yeah, I mean that uh, the question is that it is not that NATO is enlarging, it is rather that the Russia is expansionist and it is feeling the weakness of the West. It is feeling that the West is retreating from the zones that it was it had some influence on. Yeah. Uh, yes, I I would agree uh, with most of the part with most of that, but I will also precise a little bit. Um I think Russia is benefiting from the tendency of uh, European and Western security politi politics, including of, of the American security policy, that we could not manage uh, to bring stability and order in key regions of European neighborhood. And I would here uh, name actually Eastern Europe, the Black Sea region and the Near East, the MENA region. So, so the Middle and uh, so, so the Middle East uh, region, actually Syria. So everywhere where we could observe uh, growing disorder and where the West was not self-confident enough to propose something to these regions, actually when the periodical disorder was, for example, an outcome of the desire of many people of change, we should not forget that in Syria, um, nevertheless, how we will estimate these Arabic uh, spring, I think in Syria, at least it was a very serious thing. Um, uh, we we did uh, the the West uh, was not capable uh, to bring perspectives and stability and was not capable to base these perspective on let me say 
a more or less uh, stable security framework. Yes, it it is. It begins, for example, uh, with the very uh, let me say unclear position of the Obama administration as well as of the Europeans in Syria when it comes um, to um, uh, to the step or to the question of um, the establishment of uh, um, so-called no-fly zones in the Syrian war. That was, I think, a key mistake. Um, and that let, say, that simply gave Russia the opportunity to, to capitalize from chaos and with a low-cost strategy to... Um, attract partners in that region which are highly dubious and actually are the origin of the disorder uh, to bring them in again and to um, to let me say preserve the chaos and thus to discredit the West not only in military ways but also because the West was not clear with its own principles. And I think that is very, very important. And um, um, uh, and we see, for example, that uh, the West was, for example, um, prepared to, to fly over Syria in the context of the democratic Syrian coalition, but uh, neither uh, the US, neither France or Great Britain or Germany uh, could be uh, or were were prepared to stabilize uh, those uh, territories in Syria, for example, the northeast, um, in order to um, to present an alternative to the Russian approach. At least that was also not, and and that is not possible if you if you uh, un, if you not uh, if you take not responsibility in the region, uh, you cannot. Um, uh, cape or cope with the challenges <clears throat> which are coming from these third powers like Russia or other autocracies. The same is true for the Caucasus, the same is true for the Black Sea to a lesser extent, because we have, of course, other states than in the MENA region. Um, but we also now see after we see the, I mean, we have being observed. I mean, that is actually my my special topic. We have being obs we we are observed or we have been observing for many years after the annexation of Crimea, the growing tensions and growing policy of dominance, creeping annexation of these zones in the Black Sea, and remain passive. And now Russia establishes an operational a very good and very um, favoring um, uh, operational basis actually to use uh, the, only the threat of military force to to try to um, press for um, political, one-sided political solutions. And that is, of course, a problem because European Union, together with the Allies, did not care about an attractive uh, um, a neighborhood, and we did not uh, sufficiently, um, um, I would say, strengthen um, 
the neighbors like Georgia, Ukraine and Moldova, because without these partners, you cannot have leverage on Russia. You never will have direct leverage on Russia. You only have leverage on Russia if you for yourself can present an attractive role and position in the region. That is even not about military. It is about uh, the whole uh, performance that you should stabilize, you should establish uh, economic uh, interconnection and all these things um, in order to, to make clear for the Kremlin or for states like, like Russia at the moment or, or also China that they have to reckon with you. That is important. You have never a direct influence, but you should be prepared and you have should be in an attractive position with allies and partners in these sensible regions uh, that they can that they have to take you into account and that was a main mistake of european union of the last years there was no strategy for these sensible reasons and now that is the outcome that european union as a subject is not behind the table Let me ask this question about the European Union, because if we see the reaction of European diplomacy of, uh, for example, US High Representative Josep Borrell, who was uh, talking to EU defense ministers and EU foreign ministers recently, uh, I was quite surprised about the, the, the fact how alarmed the EU is feeling, that it is feeling that it is it was marginalized from these negotiations, that Russia's suggestion to go back to 1997 was actually an idea that is undoing EU itself, because saying that we should come back to 1997 means that you, you just need to reduce EU members to just 15 countries, excluding the Eastern Europeans, for example, who joined in, in uh, the years 2000. So do you think that the, these, including these negotiations in, in a kind of uh, uh, waking up the EU, do you think this process of waking up and, and, and realistic assessment of Russian threat? I think the waking up has already begun uh, in the last years, but we still have not clear conclusions of that and that is a problem i think the process is only is already going on and has has already started um but uh, i was also a little bit surprised and i think <laughs> it was also a sign of weakness uh, to travel through europe and be alarmed i think that is actually not the sign or the signal you have to send to russia i think the right signal in that situation uh, and i think it is not a tragedy yes that uh, the us is so in the process i think i see not so much a tragedy of that because we have the nato format uh, the nato russia format and from and if you and 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 uh, 21 members of nato uh are, so most of the members of uh, nato they are part um No, most, excuse me, most of the members of, of European Union are also members of NATO. So if you have the political will, you can, of course, contribute to the negotiations also as Europeans. No problem with that. Um, I think the problem of the European Union is, um, at first, European Union is not something abstract. European Union is a union of 28 very successful welfare uh, states of Europe. 
And if they want to change European Union in a better direction to cope with the threats we have today, they can do it. Yes. So it is not the problem of European Union or the structure or the commission. It is mainly the problem actually of those members who have to go forward uh, and to, to take the lead. That is the first thing. The second thing is I think also we should, and actually European Union should also not overestimate Russia. I mean, uh, I think what Russia is doing uh, in the long run, um, uh, it is, uh, let me say, an, uh, a, politis, a policy of dead end for their own country. But at the moment, they can do very much harm. And I think the mistake of European Union was not to consolidate in a certain, uh, let me say, in a coherent policy, the powers it has, yes, uh, at, at, at the right moment. I mean, European Union is powerful. It is powerful as a, the economic mighty is powerful. It is also a needed part of partner for Russia. Um, and um, it has, um, um, it has also, um, many technical possibilities uh, also to enhance even security and to to enhance the security within the partner states in the neighborhood. Um, I already told you, yes, the connectivity program of European Union has very, very powerful components to to stabilize and strengthen Ukraine as a sea power in in the terms of trade uh, for the crane export to 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 make uh, the the trade routes of Ukraine much more uh, safe. So by economic connectivity, and uh, they simply lost the opportunity to implement things they already defined as crucial programs for that neighborhood. So, so the problem is uh, that European Union and, and the Europeans, which are in European Union, have to learn and have to, let me say, reflect about their own powers we still have. And they are in the long run much more powerful than Russia, but they have to be combined, and that is very important, with a solid security stand. And, and that is actually the lack so that, we, that the European Union did not um, really... Uh, practice the own advantages it has uh, because it has even not a strategy, a coherent strategy for the Black Sea region, although they have very much instruments, also for Georgia, not only for Ukraine, um, on the one hand. And on the other hand, you, of course, have to think about security. And if you have no consensus, you should revive the formats where some states can go ahead. And we have these formats, but no one wants to revive them. So I can, uh, so the instruments are there, the powers are there, the competency is there. Um, and I think uh, um, uh, it, it is, um, it only, ha there, there should be only some, some states should be should be go ahead and make the lead in order to to push for that and to have more coherent policies. Uh, let me ask uh, a question about your country, about Germany, because uh, much depends on Germany as well. Much depends with regard to the EU, EU foreign policy, EU internal policy. Uh, Germany has a new government. Uh, the uh, foreign minister Annalena Baerbock uh, visited these days, has been visiting Kiev and, and Moscow, uh, talking to Ukraine and, and Russia. 
she was already criticized by restating that Germany is not going to supply weapons to Ukraine due to its historical uh, tradition. But what role can Germany play in this situation? What do you think? Um, I think Germany can play an important role in order to coordinate um, the different capabilities of European and NATO partners of Ukraine. So even if Germany is still refusing to deliver weapons for different reasons, um, I think Germany has at least partly to rethink that position a little bit, but we can speak about that uh, later. And I think there are still opportunities to do that. But even if uh, Germany does not deliver these weapons, it can do very much, um, for example, uh, using its knowledge and competencies um, uh, given by the I mean, we also should say that German-Ukrainian relations have developed quite successfully in the last years, and these competencies it has to bring in now in the negotiation. I think actually Germany, and it has capacities in its administrations of foreign office. They have very good people on the planning level. They greatly and they very uh, precisely know Ukraine, a big difference to the past now. Um, we should make use of that. and bring in, for example, the security threats under the level uh, of the big invasion. We should actually turn as Germans also um, when it comes, for example, uh, to uh, if it comes, if it comes to negotiations with Russia about, for example, exercises, we should actually explain how important exercises, moderate exercises, I, I will not speak about any armor spiral, but, but moderate exercises, for example, in the Black Sea, are very important for Ukraine's security, for its trade and all so on. So Germany can make a big contribution that in that process, um, Ukraine will be not excluded. And I see here a window of opportunity because one thing was very positive um, and that is that Mrs. Baerbock has no doubt that uh, about the rights um, of Ukraine and that these sovereign rights, including the choice of Ukraine to to choice to make a choice for its economic integration, security integration, um, is absolute not up for discussion. And that was very positive. And it was also mentioned by Mr. Koleba that. It is a positive signal that Germany is clear nothing about Ukraine without Ukraine. I think that is positive and Germany could much more build up on that. Secondly, I think that Germany has economic strength and that is actually a, a powerful leverage. And Germany has more consequently to make use of that. And Germany actually which is now also Ukraine, uh, and that was also very positive in the visit of Mrs. Baerbock, that Germany will strategically and in, in the interest of both countries support, for example, um, uh, uh, the hydrogen strategy of Ukraine, that Ukraine will be the first country in the Eastern Europe, which will be the supply partner and also maybe a winner of a new hydrogen partnership, which will make Ukraine more independent. I think that is very positive that she was so outspoken that Ukraine is here our first partner. That is positive. But for the moment, it is not enough for Ukraine. And for the moment, uh, German has to, let me say, cover uh, what I call um, the gaps of 
deterrent potential. And that is, of course, the problem of Nord Stream 2. I mean, it is positive that Mrs. Baerbock accentuates in the direction that if there will be escalation, we cannot imagine that Nord Stream 2 will work. But I think that could be formulated much more clearer. And it could be also done much more to, let me say, to contribute to alternative re, uh, supplies for Europe as well as for Ukraine and Georgia, so our partners in the Eastern Partnership, to bridge eventual escalation periods with enough gas supplies. I think that would be also an important task for Germany to do. I know that there are or, that is already, let me say, on the table of discussions, and I should be here. Germany must more, be more clear. Also, when it comes, for example, um, uh, for example, when we speak about the connection of the legal framework for Nord Stream 2, it is not about only uh, the decision of the net agency, of the federal net agency, that um, Gazprom, for example, is not fulfilling the conditions uh, to be that, that Nord Stream can be operated. We have still decisions of European courts about the connectors um, um, which are going from the German coast to, to the Czech Republic. All that has been taken together and, and the directives, the pipeline, the so-called FAR pipeline directives of European Union have to be consequently applied to that pipeline because I'm, I think there is also a window of opportunity that then... Um, uh, um, the pipeline Nord Stream 2 cannot be fully shipped and that makes Ukrainian safe as a, as a second uh, transit partner. But I think the first and most, and, and that is most the most important question, is that there should be a clear signal to the Kremlin that Putin knows it is in his hands only if Nord Stream will work Again, or if, or if not, excuse me, if, if Nord Stream 2 will start to work, it should be clear it is the decision only of Mr. Putin that is to say if he escalates further or not. And I think there should be a clearer, um, a clearer position. I think Mrs. Baerbock has um, a more accentuated position, but it would be better if the whole government had that position. And, and, and the last point. Um, I think the problem with the delivering of weapons, um, I think I think different powerful European partners of Ukraine can do different things. Germany can do very much by uh, strengthening the resilience. Therefore, I'm very happy that we now come to more concrete steps with cybersecurity, what was also proposed by Mrs. Baerbock. But I think uh, Germany could also, with all his experience in the decentralization reform, in the reform of, um, of the rule of law, we could do much more to, uh, to, to let me say, strengthen and support the uh, reform for an efficient security and defense sector. Why not? Why Germany can can do here very much. I, I'm even not sure if we can deliver you the right weapons. I even I'm not an expert on that. Yes, but I think uh, in structural things, logistics also. I think logistics uh, for the military also. Why not? Even a green for a, a green red foreign policy, a more left foreign policy. 
um, could do more not um, let me say be a trade not being a trader of its own principles i think here uh, germany has to more rethink the position um, i'm personally i'm i mean i personally as an analyst uh, see absolutely the need that european and western partners should um, support very essentially Ukrainian defense sector. We know that Ukraine has a big gap in the air defense. Actually, I think that is very important. We should help here. Um, but I think it would be already a step ahead, a step, a positive step, um, if there will be, let me say, a very clear and coordinated sharing of different roles in Europe, who can do what at best. If we if already uh, we have would have here a consensus at least at for example defense weapons on on the one hand uh, helping to 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 establish um, efficient defense structures um, in the domestic policies um, we could do very much and uh, that could be actually the strength of european union that different partners have different powerful capacities Maybe my last question, you have seen certainly the letter of the uh, foreign policy experts and security experts. There was a collective letter by German uh, experts calling for a more tough stance towards Russia. Do you think that the, the, the very culture of thinking, of strategic thinking in Germany is changing? I hope so. Um, um... Um, because I'm actually also working on that and uh, I think that is very needed um, and I think really that we are and that needs and of course I mean it needs time or although we have no time actually at the moment we have no time but um, it needs time that Germany um, I mean Germany is, I think Germany is very aware that there are new expectations um, and the, we are, let me say, in the midst of the process of rethinking the role of Germany. And we should not forget, and that is what I say also in Germany, um, we should also imagine that was not every time the case that Germany um, is so sensible with security. I mean, Germany was a very tough partner of America in the Cold War. Germany was the first partner in Europe. Um, and uh, the US every time could fully rely on that. Please keep into account or keep in mind that the former chancellor, Mr. Schmidt, when it comes to the crisis in the 70s with Soviet Union with uh, the SS-20 rockets, um, it was actually Mr. Schmidt who asked for stationing weapons uh, to protect Europe. I mean, uh, so it is not something so new for us. We can also rely on our own traditions as a very solid partner and, let me say, supporter of Western unity. And even in the 90s, it was not immediately the case. I mean, you should imagine, I think many Ukrainians don't know that, that actually Germany was a protector of the idea to integrate not only the Baltic states, but, um, or not only, excuse me, not only Czech Republic, Poland, uh, and Slovakia into NATO, but also other Eastern Central European states, because actually of our historical experience, um, 
politicians, by the way, from both big parties, Social Democrats and Christian Democrats, were of the opinion that there could be no Europe in no new Europe in between, no new Zwischen Europa with a lack of security. And um, so that was actually the lessons, the lesson learned of the Hitler-Stalin Pact. That what was the peak of the thinking of uh, in spheres of in interest. And so, and so, not everything is new. I think uh, we became a little bit lazy on that because everything was so nice uh, until the early 2000s, and then we faced problems we have already forgot about and now we are on a reflection process and we are still we are still a little bit in between on the one hand you see how germany successfully keeps the sanctions uh, concerning the donbas i mean germany here plays really and that is already independent from christian democratic greens or liberals um, or social democratics, uh, Germany plays a very solid role in keeping the sanctions. On the other side, you have the Nord Stream problem, and you see how Germany sometimes makes new steps, good steps, uh, concrete steps, and then neutralizes their own policy by other steps. And we are still in that, let me say, transitional period, and I hope now that we will not only uh, further um, let me say, support the unity in the current crisis, what is, by the way, also not bad. I mean, what we see here between NATO, EU, J7, including Ukraine and other states, is that the West is quite united. Not everything is bad. That is quite good. Also with the support of Germany or, or thanks to the support of Germany. But Germany should, uh, on the stakeholder level, um, let me say, make... Uh, clear conclusions from the last 10 to 15 years and and to to implement that now in in the policy making thank you so much wilfried it was a very uh, a very big pleasure to talk to you and to learn more about european union security uh, and germany we had Wilfried Jilge, who is historian of Eastern and Central Europe at Center for International Peace Operations in Berlin, also associate fellow at DGAP, the German Council on Foreign Relations. Thanks so much, Wilfried. Thank you so much, uh, Volodymyr. It was a pleasure and I'm every time at your disposal. Bye. Thank you much and bye-bye. This was a podcast explaining Ukraine by ukraineworld.org, a website in English about Ukraine. My name is Volodymyr Yermolenko. I'm editor-in-chief of ukraineworld.org. This podcast is brought to you by Internews Ukraine, one of the oldest and biggest Ukrainian media NGOs. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast at SoundCloud, Google Podcast, Apple Podcast, follow ukraineworld.org on Facebook and Twitter, and subscribe to our website at ukraineworld.org. And stay with us.